Hey everyone, this is Kim and Mark Holinsky. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to United, a Holinsky's Hope powered podcast focusing on student athletes. We really wish we could be in a room with our student athletes talking about their mental health and how important it is to their happiness and performance in their sport. Since we can't do that right now with COVID-19, we are keeping true to our mission, working to raise awareness and ending the stigma attached to mental illness. And so, we're embarking on a way we can still bring you our message of hope and support, a podcast dedicated to student-athletes and their mental wellness. We've teamed up with some incredible mental health experts across the country and are honored to have Dr. Josie Nicholson, sports psychologist at Ole Miss, host these podcasts for us. Dr. Nicholson will be using her passion for student-athlete mental health as a foundation driving the conversations that will be featured in these United podcasts. Please follow Holinsky's Hope on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can contact us via email at info at holinskyshope.org. Always for Tyler. And forever to three. Welcome to United Conversations for Student-Athletes. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Josie Nicholson. Now, this podcast is meant to be a resource in supporting the mental health of student-athletes. And today, we have one of the leaders in the field of sports psychology, a licensed psychologist, a certified mental performance consultant, Dr. Gary Bennett. He's an associate athletic director at Virginia Tech. And he's their clinical and sports psychologist. Now, he has been working with athletes for over 20 years. He's a fellow of the Clinical and Counseling Sports Psychology Association. He's been an active member of the Society for Sport, Exercise, and Performance Psychology of the APA. Now, he has, throughout his career, really seen the importance of understanding the unique needs of uh, student athletes, particularly as it relates to their mental health, because he started in the University Counseling Center just working with the student body and was asked to come work in athletics there at Virginia Tech and quickly saw the need to understand fully the experience of student athletes in order to treat them fully and holistically. He's also seen what we've talked about before here on United, which is a shift in the conversation, prioritizing the needs of the mental health of student athletes, particularly in recent years. So he's been able to see student athletes really use their voice to ask for what they need and also to destigmatize uh, mental illness so that it's easier for student athletes to come forward and say, I need support. So I'm really excited to talk to Dr. Gary Bennett today here on United. Welcome, Gary, to the United Podcast. Thanks, Josie. I appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you. Well, I'm always appreciative of time with you and uh, looking forward to this conversation as I look forward to all our conversations. 
Um, Gary, how has the pandemic been for you? Oh, Josie, I think like for most of us, it's been a challenge and in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, the, the social distancing, the physical distancing has been something that, you know, I've never had to do before. Uh, having to get used to working virtually mm. is something that I would have never imagined, especially in our field. Right. having to do um it's just it's different not being face to face with clients and student athletes and and not being around coworkers and colleagues so i mean it's it has been a a huge adjustment but uh something i feel like is going pretty well to be honest you know i think it's going pretty well too i mean i definitely have gained <laughs> i've gained a lot of skills like i myself have never done anything like it in terms of therapy outside of a room, you know? Um, so it's been challenging, but I think I'm walking away with a new skill. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Not without its challenge though. And I definitely prefer in person. <laughs> right. Yeah. It just, it has a very different feel and I can't even imagine when we, do get back this fall face-to-face -face with people wearing a mask. <laughs> there will be a whole different level of adjustment, I, I think. Yeah, you know, um, in therapy, I've been kind of kicking around and troubleshooting and trying to think of different ways. Like, the idea came up of having, like, a clear um, divider, like a shower curtain or, you know, um but that doesn't feel good too, because it's a barrier between you. Yeah. 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 We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting. And, um, you know, you have been doing this for so long, two decades working with athletes. And I'm really curious, uh, because the, the field of sports psychology and, um, the, the, uh, kind of focus on mental health and athletes is pretty new. So how did you get into working with athletes? Um, I mean, it's been kind of a circuitous journey, I would say. Um, when I went to grad school for psychology, I, I didn't really know anything about sports psychology. Right. I went through four or five years of classes and I can never remember hearing those two words used together. Um, I'm pretty sure my baseball coach in college would have liked uh, for me to have seen a sports psychologist, but we didn't know anything about them back then. So um, when I was doing my internship, I had an opportunity to work with some athletes at the University of Cincinnati. And that was really the first time I was exposed to it. Um, and then got hired at Virginia Tech during a period where there had been some problems in the athletics department with some of our student athletes. And the president of the university at that time had appointed a committee to review basically everything that was going on in athletics. Mm -hmm. And one of the recommendations of that committee was we need a psychologist in house. Mm -hmm. um, and I just happened to be on the staff at the counseling center at that time. And, you know, I 
really my only qualification was that I'd been a college athlete. So um, they made me the liaison to athletics. A few years later, athletics gave me an office. This was back in 2000, uh, where I would spend one day a week, and then it grew to two days a week, then half-time, then full-time. Um, and now we have three staff members working in our offices there. So I really uh, wasn't looking back. I don't think I was qualified for the job, but um, after getting into that environment, I, I did my best to try to get up to speed by taking some classes, uh, going to the annual sports site conferences, reading you know, a bunch of different books, and eventually getting certified um, as a mental performance consultant. Well, you know, you, you say you're not qualified, but that idea that um, you were an athlete does give you a lot of insight because it's really hard to imagine what these student athletes go through if you've never been through it. So, and then to work so hard to get the education that you did uh, says a lot about your passion for the population. Well, I think you're right. You know, having that experience definitely helped. But I would say, I mean, it's been a, a while. It's been a minute since I was an athlete in college, and things have changed yes. tremendously. Um, but, I mean, I thought for myself it was important to get as competent as I could to do the performance work and not just assume that because I was a psychologist I could call myself a sports psychologist. Right. That is really important. So it is so different now. Um, what are some of the shifts that you've seen? Um, and maybe going from like the big picture, just in athletics in general. Um, and then I'm also interested in just shifts that you've seen in how therapy is with athletes and mental health? Well, I mean, one shift just in the big picture of athletics is now it's a 12-month experience. Yeah. You know, there is no off-season anymore. Um, you know, when I, I played baseball in college, and we didn't really do much in the fall. We picked up after a winter break, got ready for the season, um, and once the season was over, we were done for basically eight months. And now our athletes train year-round. A lot of sports, they uh, compete both during the fall and the spring. So it's become a much bigger part of their lives. Um, and there's some consequences to that. I mean, I think their identity gets so much more tied into their role as an athlete uh, that we just didn't really have that same level of impact when when I was competing. Um, there was time to do other things to kind of broaden our sense of who we who we are as individuals. That it's probably not quite the same now um, as it was back then. I mean when I started there were a handful of people doing the kind of work that we do. I probably could count on one hand. Yeah. Um, and um, you're familiar with the background, and it's probably been discussed on your podcast, but uh, probably about 15 years ago, the NCAA started developing a greater awareness that 
the mental health needs of student athletes were not really being addressed. And they convened a meeting in the NCAA headquarters in Indianapolis and gathered about 15 or 20 people. Some of us were clinicians, some were more academicians um, to address what we thought were some of the mental health concerns. And out of that grew a group that became known as the Big Sky Group, uh, a group of clinicians who were doing the work. And, you know, that started an annual meeting of about, I think the first time we met about, I don't know, 15 of us. And it just grew to the point now where there are literally hundreds of people involved um, with the Big Sky Group and with, with CSPA, uh, the organization that you were very instrumental in getting started, but that's for another day. <laughs> um, but I think the growth of that, Chris Carr was a huge advocate, sort of the face of Big Sky and of, of clinicians working with student athletes. I think Dr. Brian Hainline coming aboard with the NCAA as a chief medical director played a huge role. I'll never forget one of the first times I ever heard Dr. Hainline speak. He talked about how concussion was really getting a lot of the headlines in terms of issues with student athletes. But he said the mental health issues of collegiate student athletes, uh, that that issue was a game changer. And if we didn't do a better job of addressing those things, that there would be serious fallout. And then I think the third piece of it is uh, student athletes in the last five or 10 years are experiencing levels of stress that I think beforehand just weren't there. No doubt. Um, and their voices became louder that, you know, we need help. We need resources with this. Um, you know, the number of student athletes who were experiencing serious levels of depression and anxiety and, um, you know, as the Holinskys experienced all the way up to student athletes taking their lives. So, yeah, I think there was a combination of things that came together uh, to really to push the movement forward. Yeah, I know SAC has been, the Student Athlete Advisory Committee has been really pushing that with the NCAA to say, yes, this has to be a priority. And, and the NCAA has really been listening. And Brian Hainline is a big part of that. Absolutely, yeah. So, Gary, I have a question. Um, over, like, you started at the Counseling Center there at Virginia Tech, and then you moved into athletics. What are some of the differences that you see? Because sometimes I get the question, well, why would um, athletes need a sports psychologist rather than a regular psychologist? What are some of the differences that you see in therapy between treating, like, the typical student body and then student-athletes? Well, I think the schedule is a big difference. Uh, I know there are many non-athlete uh, students who have very busy schedules, who are working, going to school, maybe have family obligations. But most students don't have the same kind of uh, time management issues and scheduling issues that student athletes face. Um, you know, just just every day. So I think that would be the biggest difference. And 
Um, I know there are some counseling centers that I know the counseling center at Virginia Tech has wonderful therapists and clinicians. And that center is literally across the parking lot from our, our athletic facilities. But our athletes aren't going to go over there. Um, it's, you know, the scheduling demands in a counseling center are such that they just don't really jive very well with the schedule of athletes. Uh, they don't know the clinicians over there, you know, in, in our situation, we're out of practices, we're involved with teams. So they, they see us around outside of our office, which I think makes it a little bit easier for them to access our, um, you know, our resources. So I think there are some, a lot of similarities, but there are some pretty important differences. Yeah, I would say um, the athlete mindset is one where, you know, they do have, <clears throat> it's a different culture. Right? It's uh, They have their own you know, culture and their own language and their own um, demands. And so understanding that athlete mindset and, and how that is, um, you know, just a little bit different that uh, drive to excellence. And then also some of the demands might <laughs> seem unreasonable it's like well why don't we just take the day off right can't really do that so it's helpful to understand that yeah and you know I I just can't imagine uh, an athlete sitting in a waiting room filled with people who is well known um, you know as a, a starting quarterback or whatever by the time that person got out of their session who knows how many people have posted it on social media? So there's a lot of hesitance for um, for a lot of people, I think. And part of that is the stigma, but part of that is reality, that confidentiality might be a little bit more difficult to protect um, in a lot of counseling center settings. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like being in the waiting room, sitting next to somebody that has a poster of you on their wall. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But that, uh, you know, there's so many strengths that athletes have. Um, you know, I was talking on the, the podcast with um, with Bradley Hack and uh, talking about the athletes are um, so accustomed to dealing with uncertainty because they never know what um, an opponent's going to bring and they prepare for all different kind of scenarios. So being able to translate that into life. And so, you know, that's one example of athletes have so many strengths too, and as do all of us. Um, but being able to capitalize on those strengths and knowing what they are from a cultural perspective um, can really help in the too, I think. Oh, I would agree. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So there's, uh, it's just a different world, athletics, <laughs> and understanding the cultures that you've already mentioned, you know, it's just a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, you're right. Cool. So performance psychology uh, that comes out of like exercise science departments has been around for a really long time. Um but when the athletic department at Virginia Tech said this is a you know a, a big deal, we need you know somebody in house. Was that a thought? Was there a thought to that? 
No, you know, not really at all. They were really more concerned with just having a mental health resource. Um, And to some degree, that's still the case. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't really know about ASP or CMPCs or, um, you know, they just really want people available to help our student-athletes deal with the stress of being a student-athlete, of the um, issues that come with being away from home for the first time, or, you know, sharing a dorm room the size of a closet with a stranger, or all the other things that go along with being a student-athlete, as well as the more, kind of the more serious end of the continuum, like we said, of things like depression and anxiety, and substance abuse and eating disorders and, um, you know, just the whole gamut. Um, So, you know, I like the idea of performance and thriving, being on one end of a continuum and very severe mental health issues on the other. And that there's really, it's almost impossible to separate those things out completely. They interact with one another Um, and most people fall somewhere on that continuum. Right. You know, it it is impossible to separate those things out. And if you look um, at what most mental health professionals that are working with athletes recognize, is that if, if you're not addressing the performance piece, then you're missing part of who the athlete is. Because if they're struggling on the field, it's going to be very personal because that's part of their identity. But the other thing that I see is that there's very little that an athlete struggles with strictly on the field of play. It's it's typically that, you know, they're struggling with confidence in a lot of areas or they're struggling in their relationships in a lot of areas. And it's not just relegated to that one, you know, three hour block of practice, you know. No, I would agree with that. And, you know, I think a lot of times it's easier for them to come in under the guise of wanting help with their performance. Yes. Um, and that discussion leads to sometimes bigger and deeper topics of concern. Exactly. So, you know, in, in the time also uh, kind of as a, a senior sports psychologist, I'm asking like, what areas do you see when athletes, um, because I believe when you improve as an athlete, then, you know, these things generalize to your life. And when you improve areas of your life, it improves your performance. So what's your take on that? I think that's a really good point. I, I don't know that I've ever really thought about it that much, but that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I think when, you know, a lot of the, the work that I do has to do with um, acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT, mm-hmm. and mindfulness, and not getting so caught up in the noise in our head when it comes to performance and practice. But if we're able to apply those skills to sport, they definitely will carry over into the rest of a person's life. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, they're just, we're not different people when we step on the, the court. You know, it's not like we all of a sudden become a different person. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So 
One thing I wanted to ask about is the stigma that surrounds mental illness that is um, so strong and so insidious. Um, you know, people carry around these secrets and they carry around shame um, about struggling and, and feeling depressed or, um, you know, not being, I'm using air quotes, uh, mentally tough. That's um, the way some people see it. And, you know, what is, what's that been like in the time that you've been doing this? Definitely see it. Uh, you know, I think of Virginia Tech, we're fortunate that from our athletic director down through our coaches, uh, through the ranks, people are encouraged to, to be willing to ask for help when they need it. So, you know, I think that's helped destigmatize things a little bit. Um, annually, for the last three or four years, right at 50% of our student athletes have come uh, to our services for one thing or another. And a lot of the referrals we get are from teammates and friends who have come in. So I think, um, yeah, we've lowered the stigma some, but I think our our biggest area that needs to be better is with black student athletes. Mm-hmm. I think they struggle. We don't have a, a black staff member. Right. And because of that, especially with all the things that have happened recently, um, you know, I don't know that they feel as comfortable coming to someone like me as they would with someone who is black. And I mean, I, I can't, I don't know how many people in the field do have that background that would be uh, available. There just aren't very many. So that's an area that I think as a profession, hopefully we can build and grow. Uh, but that that continues to be a limitation of the services that we're providing. Absolutely. And and that's a, a pretty deep issue. If you look at it, you know, there are not a lot of providers um, that are in these positions, but there's not a lot of providers to um, fill these positions. So, and there's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of stigma, period. But there's a lot of stigma in the Black community um, in seeking mental health services and part of that is because they don't see providers that look like them and also they don't uh, see themselves pursuing that career because they don't see providers that look like them so then there's fewer providers <laughs> so there's fewer people in the world so it's, it's a pretty systemic issue that yeah as a profession um, we need to be better about recruiting and um, encouraging black athletes and black students to pursue these roles. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. So Gary, you mentioned um, the tremendous pressure that athletes are under and that that's kind of been a focus and man, it is full on with their schedule and social media and um, just the, the microscope that they tend to be under. So I'm wondering if you can say more about how the, um, the issues that athletes have been bringing into your office over the past 20 years has shifted. Well, social media is a huge difference. You know, now literally everything they do and say can be 
transmitted to hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Right. There's really no room to make a mistake. Uh, I shudder to think what <laughs> what my life would have been like if social media had been around when I was a collegiate student athlete. Oh my God. I'm just so, grateful there's no digital evidence at all of when I was in college. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think, you know, we talked about sort of the evolution of what being a college student athlete looks like in terms of the year round participation. Yeah, social media. And then I think an outside force that is relevant is uh, the whole, uh, I mean, I don't know how to say this any kinder than just the way parenting changed in the last 15 or 20 years where, you know, parents were much more protective, uh, were there to, to kind of clean up the messes, maybe a little bit too much sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had the snowplow parents, the helicopter parents who had the best of intentions. Um, I'm confident of that. But the net result of that was young people growing up didn't build some of the coping skills and resiliency that are so important and being able to deal with life and problems constructively. So I think there was this uh, just confluence of different things that occurred in the last 15 or 20 years uh, since I've been doing this that have led to where we're at now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, oh, I can't imagine making a mistake in a game and getting attacked by a hundred people that have never met me. Oh, no, it's crazy. Yeah. And people forget that they're 18 to 22, you know. So another thing I have seen um, shift that we spoke a little bit about when Ivan Maisel was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago is um, the athlete voice, athletes being able to speak up and have more of a platform um, to make change. What have you seen in terms of um, shifts in athletes having more uh, more of a voice and, and using their platform to enact change? Well, there's definitely been a shift with that, Josie. And uh, I mean, I think it's a promising thing. I think that especially in terms of, you know, we refer to the social justice issues. Mm-hmm. There's an opportunity there. We're seeing it with our athletes here at Virginia Tech uh, to take a leadership role in bringing about needed change. Um, you know, I think just things like name, image, and likeness, their voice in terms of speaking up about that. And uh, I don't know, I just see a lot of promise and a lot of, of people just being a little bit more um proactive and verbal and vocal in, in speaking up and, you know, departments are having to listen. I'm sure you've been following what's been going on at Kansas State in recent weeks where, you know, the student athletes there came together and said, that this is what we need mm-hmm. or, you know, we're not going to play. 
and the administration responded. So um, I think it's very constructive. Yeah, and it, it's cool because this has happened before. So you had several years ago, Mizzou football, you know, um, threatened to boycott. I mean, here in Mississippi, we changed the flag and, and a lot, you know, there's been discussions and bills and, and a lot of movement around that for a very long time. And now the change happened. And some of it was, you know, high profile coaches and our athletic director, you know, going and, um, you know, going to our government and, and uh, governor and having athletes that say, you know, we're not, we're not playing under this flag. And that's, it's been powerful, but athletes have been, taking a stand on different things for a long time. Um, and, you know, maybe it's social media or maybe it's um, how much money is involved or maybe it's, you know, but athletes are, have a voice now in a way that they haven't before. And I agree. It is cool to watch. I love it. Well, now they don't need somebody else to broadcast their voice. Oh, they don't have to do an interview with ESPN to have their voice be heard. With social media, with podcasts, I mean, they they can just do it on their own. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Yeah. So, Gary, with, um, again, and I keep saying this, like, um, you know, so much experience uh, with working with athletes. What would you, what messages would you want to give to athletes right now um, that are listening when it comes to the stigma around mental illness and taking care of their mental health? Oh, a message. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think it's just important for athletes or for really anyone to have a supportive presence in their life, whether that's a teammate, a coach, a partner, a friend, just someone that they can go to when they're having a hard time. It doesn't have to be a psychologist or a mental health professional, um, but just not carrying a burden alone, I think is so important. Um, I mean, of course, I'm, I'm biased. I think there's certainly a role for folks like us who are trained um, as mental health professionals, because there are certain things that others may not be equipped to handle. But just having that support in some way, I just feel is so important. Absolutely. And, and I want to talk about that, um, that support for a second, because so athletes tend to be pretty popular, you know, and uh, they get a lot of um, Instagram and Twitter followers and a lot of people talking to them about a lot of different things. And so that is very different than being connected, you know? Yeah. 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 So it's possible to have 2000 Facebook friends and however many Instagram followers and, and Twitter followers and ha- be retweeted so many times and still feel really alone and, and still feel like you don't have anybody to turn to. In fact, I think that can contribute to the feeling of I've got to be perfect. I can't show people that I'm struggling. 
Right, yeah. I mean, I think there's a distinction between being connected and having a connection. You know, you can have thousands of connections, but not really feel connected um, to any of those folks. Right. How would you help an athlete understand um, the difference? Like, what does it feel like to be connected? How do you know that um, you really are connected to somebody? And how do you go about establishing uh, those connections? Well, I mean, I think as an athlete, you have to be careful about who you would choose to do that with. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think those connections have their roots in vulnerability, being able to let people see, you know, who you really are and not uh, the persona that you have as an athlete. And, you know, there probably aren't that many people that we have that level of connection within our lives, but... Uh, you know, it, it only takes a, a handful to have that kind of meaningful connection. And I'm sure lots of people listening have read some of Brene Brown's books, but, you know, if you haven't, if you're struggling with figuring out how to do that, that would be a great place to start. Yeah. She does a really, really good job of, of talking about the value of that kind of connection and the need for vulnerability and openness and intimacy yeah yeah can't beat the name Brown's words for sure yeah. um well i think too if you um if you're looking for that connection looking for somebody that you can share hey i'm struggling and they're not going to immediately try to tell you you're not or try to fix it but they'll actually hear what you're saying and sit with you in it and, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because people really struggle when they see somebody that they think is strong and, and uh, like immune, and they think of that strength as not having any struggle, which is absolutely not what strength is. <laughs> they try to fix it and talk somebody yeah. out of it, you know? Yep. Yeah. Gary, if somebody has a question about something that they've heard here on the podcast or they just want to hear more or uh, tell you how awesome you are, <laughs> is there a way that people listening can reach you? Sure, yeah. The easiest way would be my email address through Virginia Tech, which is G.A. Bennett with only one T at vt.edu. Right. Well, great. Hopefully people will reach out and uh, share their appreciation for you coming on and sharing so many insights and, um, you know, the history of mental health with athletes and um, and some, some great uh, ending remarks on connection. That's really helpful, too. So thank you so much. And uh, I hope the rest of the pandemic treats you well. Thank you, Josie. <laughs> All right, take care. Again, a big thank you to Dr. Gary Bennett, as well as our producer, Graham Doty. If you're struggling at this time, please reach out to a licensed mental health professional in your area. And we want to hear from you about topics that you want to hear us discuss. So please reach out to us at info at and let us know what would be helpful for you or your fellow athletes to hear about.
Share this podcast with anyone you believe would be helped by it. Subscribe to it, rate it, and review it because it helps other athletes find the podcast. And if you'd like to know more about Holinsky's Hope, including how to donate to help with all that they're doing to support student-athlete mental health and reduce the stigma that surrounds mental illness, please visit www.holinskyshope.org. Please take care of yourself, please take care of others, and always have hope.